Hello, TSF family. We wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for your hard work to love yourself more and for your feedback. Can you believe it's been three years that we've been doing this spiritual fix and it has been such a beautiful labor of love for Anna and me. We have loved doing this work. We've loved hearing from you and we love exploring ourselves and each other alongside our listeners. We wanted to put out the call for three ways that you can help support us to support you. One, we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Two, drop us an email and let us know how much the podcast means to you. And three, you can donate monthly or even just once to our PayPal patronage. Every little bit helps and we are so grateful to those of you who have donated already. Thank you. You help make this podcast possible. Thanks, y'all. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for information on how to pledge as well as to email us. This Spiritual Fix presents TSF Shorts. A potluck of preludes between episodes. Hello, TSF family, and welcome to this upcoming short where we will be talking about villainy in all its different forms and cross-correlating everything. And we recommend that you take the villain quiz in the show notes before this episode for added insight into your life. Hello, Anna. Hey, Christina. How are you? (laughs) I am okay. It's been a lot of interesting times and interesting evolutionary experiences as Suzanne Raja would say for sure yes yeah um this week I read a book on ADHD to prepare for an interview we will be doing later in this season or next and um I learned a lot about visual and auditory sensory processing overload and I think that you are going through visual overload at the moment Is that correct? (laughs) I think you're probably right because I'm finding it really difficult to look at people in the eye, which is something I usually only do when I'm like really overwhelmed. Like when I'm really overwhelmed, I find it difficult to like actually look at people in the eye because I think that I get so much visual information from looking at somebody that I'm just like, nope, I'm not even going to look at you because that's just easier. Right, right. And we'll talk about this later in the show, but like one of the things is, is if you're like a weak visual processor, then visual information is just jarring and overloading. And it's funny because I was listening to the book and I'm like, I cannot work in my house or even start cooking unless I clean everything first because I get so distracted by visual stimulus. So I, even my desk right now, if you could see my desk, like my desk is like really overwhelming right now. And I need to just like, I think after this episode, I'm going to clean my desk so that I can actually feel like, cause it's like, if I feel like I don't have any space, like move my arms around my desk, then it's a problem. So I'm in the middle, my family's in the middle of a shift. I need to move out to a separate room that we have outside. And so we're in the middle of processing a lot of stuff in order to do that. And so it's everywhere as a result of it. And I know it will resolve. This too will change, but holy shit (laughs) in the meantime. Yeah. 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 I know. Like I have to clean my desk nicely, but in the meantime, I just throw everything in a basket and put it somewhere. I can't see it because I just like can't. Yeah. It makes sense why doom, why ADHD people have doom boxes, you know, What's what's a doom box. A doom box is that exact thing that you just described. But oh, never okay. actually going back into it again. Oh, I go back into it eventually, but yeah. Right. 
Right. But that's the idea. Like I used to, um, my dad was like, you need to clean up your room. And I would be so visually overstimulated. And actually now I'm thinking about that, that my kids are probably having the same experience. You like walk into a messy room and you're so visually overstimulated by it being messy that you can't even begin to clean it up because you're just like, holy shit, I can't do this. I can't handle this. And so um, that's really interesting. Now I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm totally spinning off into another thing that we weren't going to talk about in our short today. No. I'm just like, yeah, but, but I think that, uh, that there's something to be said about like consolidating mess into a space, even if you can't put it into a box. Like I used to just chuck everything into a box when I was a kid, didn't matter what it was just to get it out of my space because mm-hmm. I was told to clean up and I was so overwhelmed by it that I just like, I would put it in a box and put it in the attic and there'd be like old sandwiches in boxes. In oh my Lord. Oh my gosh. <laughs> the visual of, of uh, Anna just now like be like, oh God, visceral, visceral. Uh, yeah. Yes. Um, so speaking of which though, it was really funny that we're talking about me being a kid and the, uh, I sent you a TikTok the other day, which we'll put in the show notes, but I just sent you a TikTok the other day and it was like, the person was like making the statement, you cannot get in trouble with other adults and then somebody was reacting to him being like uh excuse me I don't understand that at all like it's like a, it's such a vast concept and I think you know it's a really fascinating thing because I have to caveat this with the understanding that we have a culture that is a, a society that is incredibly hierarchical so you can get in trouble with your boss you can get in trouble with the government you can get I mean there's so much language that you used around this but if we think about this statement exactly which is you cannot get in trouble with other adults as in like people other adults are equal with you and inherently you cannot get in trouble with them the only way that you can quote unquote get in trouble is if you're hierarchical that's when the statement becomes like holy shit what do you think about that Anna well I watched it too and I was just kind of mind blown because I started realizing like all the way that I fear getting in trouble with my peers in, in like really stupid situations um I I can't explain it but like sometimes I'm honest to a fault and I over explain things because I was like I don't want to get caught in a lie like I I, not in a lie but like it's just sometimes easier to just omit things than just to go into detail that people don't need like why I suddenly need to pick up whatever at five o'clock instead of four o'clock they don't need to know all the reasons and then I like over inform them because I don't want to get in trouble with them for being dishonest. And it's so annoying. I'm just noticing a lot of like, am I in trouble? Um, am I going to get in trouble? Do I need to ask for permission for things? It's just so weird. Yeah. Yeah. It was so funny. We were, I was talking with a client the other day and I usually see them every week and she was so, cause she listens to the podcast a lot. And she was like, I heard you once say that when people don't respond to you, you feel like you're in trouble. And, and she was like, and I was so worried that when I didn't book with you for a week, that you would think that you had done something wrong. And I said to her, I said, I definitely had like 30 seconds of that, of being like, oh my God, did I do something wrong? Cause it happened to coincide with something else that was happening. And I'm feeling a lot of imposter syndrome, which to me is like this idea of getting in trouble. Like you're getting found out you're, you know, like you're, you're getting, you know, it's like that greater feeling of feeling like, you know you're in trouble because guess what? You're pretending to do something you can't do. I've been feeling that a ton, but it was funny because I was like, in the context of my clients, I recognize that that part 
who's like worried that I'm in trouble or that I'm getting found out does come up. And I appreciated that she could reflect that she was like, I was like, yeah, there's definitely that part. But then the predominant part of me is, is mature and recognizes that like everyone is free to their own will and they shouldn't feel responsible for keep for other people's feelings or even necessarily communicating to make someone feel better. Like we're all just need to be in our, in our spaces to be mature about that. But, um, it was interesting because that came up this week and I said to her, I said, can you imagine that you can't get in trouble with someone? Can you imagine that that like that that's a possibility that if it's a peer and it's not somebody who's like over you or hiring you or a government authority or something like that, like you can't. Yeah, it's just unless they're yeah, unless it's like judicial. Yeah, it's just. Right, right. And that's and that but that's the thing, like if you were to look up and I did, I tried to look up this concept on Google. And I was like, is it true that you can't be, you can't get in trouble with your peers? And literally my entire, I had to look to like page 20, like who looks at page 20 of a, um, of a, of a search. I had to look so, so far back because it was all about what happens if you get in trouble as an adult, like what can adults get in trouble for and kids can't. And then that's when I started to realize like that language is just everywhere. It's really everywhere. Like, of course, everyone thinks that they can get in trouble with their peers because you're constantly being given that language, right? Like, right. everyone's kind of infantilized a little bit. Well, there are, and there are consequences. Like, if you treat a peer poorly, right, there right. might but be consequences. They might not want to be near you anymore or whatever. Right. Yeah. And and I, I I agree with that. And I think that, the trick is, is that, you know, I really, I think that the idea of can I get in trouble is completely based on this idea that you see yourself as lesser to this friend, that your opinion is, is kind of lesser than, and they hold all the power in the relationship. Right. And I feel like that's kind of the crux of this. Uh, right? Yeah. Right, right, right. Right. Whereas for you, if somebody says a differing opinion and you choose not to be like you, you take it, you, you may be offended by it because it's like different than you, or you feel like you've gone a long way into kind of forming your own opinion. And the other person has gone a long way into forming their, their opinion. And you guys have both ended up at separate conclusions. There is a decision, a mutual decision. Actually, it's not a mutual decision. It's a single person in that relationship can decide that they don't want to continue it. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the other person's in person it, 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 in trouble. It has everything to do with you and your decision, right? Especially because right. assuming it has to do with them um, implies that you're responsible for the other person's opinion and you have an ability to change their opinion, which is really freaking rare to do. Um, so that getting in trouble totally relates to everything that's going going on in my world. And Anna, you are going to contribute some amazing things about kind of the idea of villainy, right? Right. And, and I distinguish villainy as imagine that the hero and the villain are on the same story. They have the exact same story. And there comes a point in the story where both the hero and the villain have an opportunity to do something bad in order to quote unquote bad, like that harms others in order to kind of get what they want. The hero does not take that road and the villain does. 
Mm -hmm. that's kind of the distinction, right? So that was, that's my kind of context for the difference between them, but go ahead, Anna. Okay. Well, I wanted to talk about Christina's working a lot on villain stuff and she's going to have a villain workshop coming up at the end of this month, November. Yeah. And I'm taking the course. I'm so excited to do it. And anyways, I saw this book yesterday and I was like, Christina, look at this book. I feel like it relates a lot to your villain stuff. So basically if you're on Reddit and you like to read the relationship sections or the, am I the asshole sections very many times when there's an abusive person in the relationship that's asking the questions, people will post this book and it's called, why does he do that inside the minds of angry and controlling men by Lundy Bancroft and the book, you can actually find it online for free. And I'll put it in the show notes because apparently the author is so concerned about people being abused that they wanted to make this book available to anyone for free. So you can buy it or you can access it online. Anyways, I keep seeing this book show up like over and over and over again. And thank God my husband is not abusive. And I never felt called to read the book for that reason. But I was curious about the book because it gets posted so often in Reddit and everyone says, oh my gosh, every victim of emotional abuse or narcissist abuse should read this book. So anyways, I pull it up, just scrolling through it. Very interesting. And I thought that I would go over the types of abusive men because the the author, and I don't know if Lundy is a man or a woman. I don't know, but Lundy talks about the different types of, of abusive men. They all have a lot of things in common, but then there's these these characteristics, like these, these stereotypical types. And I just thought I would go over them briefly of abusive men. And yes, women can be abusive too. And I am trying my best. And I know how sexist it comes across that I'm only talking about abusive men here, but this is what the book is about. And, um, here we go. And Lundy, (laughs) just, you know, Lundy identifies as a he, him. Oh, and Lundy is a he, him. Okay. So the first type that he talks about is the demand man. The demand man is highly entitled. He expects his partner's life to revolve around meeting his needs and gets angry if things get get in the way. He has a little sense of give and take. He has a lot of demands for emotional support, sexual attention, etc. He exaggerates and overvalues his own contributions. When he doesn't get what he feels is his due, he will punish you. When he is generous and supportive, it's because he feels like it. It's not necessarily because you need it. Basically, you are in a lot of ways his servant. Do you want to do you want to like tie this into your villain stuff? Or just- yeah, that's totally the Norman Bates, I think, which is I mean, it's interesting because when you say servant, it also reminds me of mother. Right. And I also think that it's interesting that they're identifying all of these as men, whereas I feel like men, women can probably do it, too. I think that at one point I did this back early in my relationship, but like, because I had totally had the eternal child, the Norman Bates, which is this idea that like, you're meant to be like, you're the center of your world and you create a world in which you're the center of it. So you have somebody who's constantly catering to that. That's really interesting. Okay. And then the next one is Mr. Wright. Mr. Wright considers himself the ultimate authority on every subject under the sun. You might call him Mr. Always Right. He speaks with absolute certainty, brushing your opinions aside like annoying gnats. When Mr. Wright's partner refuses to defer to his sophisticated knowledge, he is likely to escalate to insulting her, calling her names, mocking her with imitation. Mr. Wright, in some respects, is less violent and less frightening than the drill sergeant, which I'm going to get to. 
also, Mr. Wright tries to sanitize his bullying by telling me I have strong opinions or I like debating ideas. This is like a bank robber saying I'm interested in financial issues. The central attitudes driving Mr. Wright are, you should be in awe of my intelligence and look up to me. Your opinions aren't worth listening to carefully or taking seriously. The fact that you sometimes disagree with me shows how sloppy your thinking is. If you would just accept that I know what's right, our relationship would be so much better. When you disagree with me about something, no matter how respectfully or meekly, that's mistreatment of me. If I put you down for long enough, someday you'll see. I totally dated. Remember I said I, I'm pretty sure I dated a narcissist? He was totally a Mr. Right. That's so interesting. And that's in the in my in my villain framework, that's the nurse ratchet who is willing to, it's all about there's a lot of humiliation wound in there, right? Because being right is the most important thing because when you're not right, you're dumb and you're humiliated, right? So depending on your culture, that's going to look very different around the thing. But in American culture, I would definitely say that humiliation because of intelligence is a very prevalent theme. And so the nurse ratchet, you know, what I always joke about in a really dark humor sort of way is that the nurse ratchet is so concerned with being right that they're willing to lobotomize you in order to prove their point which is what happens in one flew over the cuckoo's nest for those right. who are not familiar. Wow. All right. The third type here is the water torturer. The water torturer style proves that anger doesn't cause abuse. He can assault his partner psychologically without even raising his voice. He can assault his partner psychologically without even raising his voice. He tends to stay calm in arguments using his own evenness as a weapon to push her over the edge. He often has a superior or contemptuous grin on his face, smug and self-assured. He uses low volume, sarcasm, and derision, such as openly laughing at her, mimicking her voice in cruel, cutting remarks. Like Mr. Wright, he tends to take things she has said and twist them beyond recognition to make her appear absurd, especially in front of other people. He gets to his partner through a slow but steady stream of low-level emotional assaults and perhaps occasional shoves or other minor acts of violence that don't generally cause a visible injury, but do great psychological harm. The central attitudes driving the water torture are, you are crazy, you fly off the handle over nothing. I mean, he's the gaslighter, okay, basically. I can easily convince other people that you're the one who is messed up. As long as I'm calm, you can't call anything I do abusive, no matter how cruel, and I know exactly how to get under your skin. This is totally one of my friends' husbands. Like, this is totally him. Whew. Yeah, so this is the Hannibal Lecter. Because it, it, like, can you imagine, did you ever watch the silence of the lambs? Right. Yes. And you know uh -huh. how, I mean, like I was rewatching some of the clips as I've been trying, as I've been putting together the course to like give people examples of the most extreme versions of this. The Hannibal Lecter is the five, um, which is the evasive expert. Basically they rely so much on their lack of emotional empathy that they are willing to do anything to your emotional empathy. And I have to also have to preface this is that like, when I talk about inner villainy for what I'm talking about, I'm talking about most of the stuff we're talking about is self-inflicted. This isn't about everyone turning themselves into the victims of these people. Obviously this list is for people who are experiencing abuse. They are experiencing what I call an origin villain, right? Like someone that's going to create a pattern in them, which makes it so that they're unable to leave, or it's difficult for them to leave or, or things that happen as a result and it's the cascade that happens from this. So to me, this is the Hannibal Lecter, because if you watch any of the Silence of the Lambs uh, scenes, he is constantly emotionally baiting her. 
He is being vulgar. He is doing all the things he can to basically try and get a rise out of her and figure her out. And he doesn't care what it sounds like or what it does, but he has a lot of expertise. So that's where he's like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to slowly kind of erode your confidence or I'm going to try and bait you because I can, because I don't actually have an attachment to that aspect of my, of emotional empathy in the same way. Oh my gosh. All right, here we go. Another another type of abuser, the drill sergeant. The drill sergeant takes controlling behavior to its extreme, running his partner's life in every way that he can. He criticizes her clothing, tells her whether she can or can't go out, interferes with her work. He wants her to have no one close to her, so he ruins her relationships with friends and relatives or simply forbids him to see her. He may listen to her phone calls, read all her mail, or require the children to report on her activities anytime he is away. Oh my gosh, this reminds me of someone I know. Uh, she feels like a little girl living with a tyrannical father with no more freedom than an eight-year-old would have. The drill sergeant is often fanatically jealous, verbally assaults his partner with accusations of cheating, and he goes on these crazy tirades. The central attitudes driving the drill sergeant are, I need to control your every move or you will do it wrong. I know the exact way that everything should be done. You shouldn't have anyone else or anything else in your life besides me. I'm going to watch you like a hawk to keep you from developing strength or independence. And I love you more than anyone in the world, but you disgust me. Exactly. This is the three. This is the Regina George. She's the three in the Enneagram, the Regina George, like just imagine everything. If you guys remember Mean Girls, obviously they're remaking it, but like in the original Mean Girls, Regina George did not let any of the other plastics have any other friends. She controlled every single thing that they wore. And if somebody betrayed her, because it's the betrayal wound, y'all, like the three is the betrayal wound. The three in the Enneagram is representative of the betrayal wound whose mask is is the controller when that was this the case you know she went ballistic and she just destroyed everything when she found out that somebody had betrayed her and like not done what she wanted to do and that is 100 the regina george who is looking to control everything and is very very image conscious they're the image conscious controller wow all right here's another one mr sensitive Mr. Sensitive appears to be the diametric opposite of the drill sergeant. He's soft-spoken, gentle, supportive when he isn't being abusive. He loves the language of feelings, openly sharing his insecurities, his fears, his emotional injuries. He hugs other men. He may speak out about absurdities of war or the need for men to get in touch with their feminine side. He might attend men's group or men's retreats, and he often has participated extensively in therapy. He's big on self-help. So what's wrong with the picture? Nothing obviously yet, but this is the exact problem. Mr. Sensitive wraps himself in one of the most persuasive covers a man can have. If you start to feel chronically mistreated by him, you are likely to assume that something is wrong with you. And if you complain about him to other people, they may think you must be spoiled. You have the new age man. What more do you want? These are the following dynamics typical of being in relationship with Mr. Sensitive. You seem to be hurting his feelings constantly, though you aren't sure why, and he expects your attention to be focused endlessly on his emotional injuries. If you're in a bad mood one day and say something unfair or insensitive, it won't be enough for you to give him a sincere apology and accept responsibility. He'll go on and on and on about it, expecting you to grovel as if you had treated him with profound cruelty. Two, when your feelings are hurt, on the other hand, he will insist on brushing over it quickly. He may give you a stream of pop psychology language like, just let the feeling go through you. Don't hold on to it so much. No one can hurt that you unless you let them. 
to substitute for genuine support of your feelings. None of these philosophies applies when you are upset with him, however. With the passing of time, he increasingly casts the blame onto you for anything he's dissatisfied with in his own life, and your burden of guilt keeps growing. He starts to exhibit a mean side that no one else ever sees, and only you see, and it became even more threatening or intimidating. Um, this is totally me when I have PMDD to my husband. This is why this is the two. Is it? This is yeah. totally me. Um, oh my gosh, my poor husband. Ugh, I don't do it that much anymore, but like, this is my go-to abusive, uh, tendency when I'm in a really bad place. Yeah. Oh yeah. my God. I feel really bad reading this. Ugh, yeah. This is this hard is, to read. This is the, this is the Darth Vader. Um, that's me. I'm the Darth Vader when I took your quiz. Yeah. Yeah. This is the Darth Vader. It's the two it's, it's an abandonment wound thing because, you know, in some ways there's a codependency to like figuring out, I mean, like what, what do we know from TikTok is that every, so many people with the abandonment wound are looking at self-help stuff. They know all the language of all of this. Right. And so they're constantly trying to help and rescue other people. But when it comes, when they reach their capacity, like whether it's in a PMDD time or something else, when they reach the capacity of helping other people, that's when they turn into this person. That's when they experience this, like, like nothing's fair, right? Like no, it, it needs to now be equal. And, and it's like, it's like, it's almost a blindingness because of the fact that you feel like you've accrued. So many people have accrued so much debt to you that you now are allowed to, to call in the loan. Yeah. Oh my, I'm re okay. So here's some more, like, here's the little Here's the central attitude blurb about it. I'm against the macho men, so I couldn't be abusive. So in mine, my, my case would be, well, I'm a spiritual woman, so I can't, couldn't be abusive, right? Yes. As long as I use a lot of psychobabble, no one's going to believe you that I'm mistreating you. I can control you by analyzing how your mind and emotions work and what your issues are from childhood. I don't, I don't really do that, but I can see that. I can get inside your head whether you want me there or not. Nothing in the world is more important than my feelings. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's how I I will feel. And uh, women should be grateful to me for not being like those other men. And mine is I'm so awesome the rest of the time. So you should put up with my abuse for a few days every month. Right, right. Oh yeah. my lord! Oh, yeah. I, I hate reading this. <laughs> I really need to take your course. Okay. All right. The player. The player is often good looking and sexy, or sometimes he just thinks he is. In the early part of a relationship, he seems head over heels in love and wants to spend as much time as possible in bed together. And he's a pretty good lover. You may feel lucky that you caught someone who knows how to turn you on and feel proud to be seen with him because he's hot. He doesn't say that. I'm just saying that. He knows how to make each woman feel like she's the special one. And yet at the same time, keeps her off balance so that she never feels quite sure of where she stands with him. He tells each one of the women that he's involved with that they're lying about their involvements with him because they're jealous of her or because he turned them down or whatever. He tells each woman stories about how other women have mistreated him or shares other bits of information largely invented to make previous or current women in his life sound conniving, vindictive, or addicted, addictive to things. He breaks up with women and gets back together so that no one can keep track of what's going on. He includes one or two women in his circle who feel unattractive because he knows he can have more power over them and manipulates them into hating the women who are seen as more attractive. The central attitudes driving the player are women were put on this earth to have sex with men, especially me. Women who want sex are too loose and women who refuse sex are too uptight. It's not my fault that women find me irresistible. And this is a word for word quotation from a number of clients, the, according to the author. 
Uh, if you act like you need anything from me, I'm going to ignore you. I'm in this relationship when it's convenient for me and when I feel like it. Women who want the non-sexual aspects of themselves appreciated are bitches. If you could meet my sexual needs, I wouldn't have to turn to other women. Now, this is funny because this sounds just like a lot of men that one of my friends dates and she chronically dates married men. Um, I love her. I mean, yeah, I love her yeah, anyways, yeah. but I'm just going to say she chronically dates married men. And these are the kind of things that these men say to her and do to her constantly. They always yes. come back because she's on a rotation. Yes. Yes. And so it's interesting because I feel like the uh, player is this weird 10th villain that this is a really strange story because what happened was that I was doing, um, I was kind of doing some work with like having AI kind of expand out things that I wrote because I have, I'm trying to kind of run a business and do all this kind of stuff. And it accidentally generated a new villain. And the new villain that it generated was the the Gaston and it called it the, 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 delus the delusional egotist. And then you tell me this list of 10 vill of 10 guys who do this and the player didn't map to any of them, but he totally maps to the Gaston from Beauty and the Beast. And I just kind of can't believe that coincidence. It's such an interesting thing because to me, the Gaston is a combination of the Regina George because it's very appearance centered, the Norman Bates, because he's very delusional, right? He's got like all these projections up. In fact, he's probably most like the four. And then, uh, and then a little bit of the of the Loki, a little bit of the seven. So it's really interesting that uh, the player has come up as the Gaston, which is this other villain. And I think it's very unique to someone who's incredibly attractive and uses that to their benefit. Okay, the next type is Rambo. Rambo is aggressive with everyone, not just his partner. He gets a thrill out of the sensations of intimidating people and strives to handle all situations by subtly or overtly creating fear. He has an exaggerated stereotypical view of what a man is supposed to be, which goes hand in hand with seeing women as delicate, inferior, and in need of protection. Rambo often comes from a home or neighborhood where he was the target of violence himself, and he learned at a young age to feel safe. He needed to be stronger, tougher, and less caring than everyone else. He has very little patience for weakness, fragility, or indecision, and he might even have a criminal record of violence, theft, drunk driving, or drug dealing. Early in the relationship, Rambo is likely to be loving to his partners, like most abusers. Because he lacks fear or pretends to be, he can make a woman feel safe and protected. This style of abuser can therefore be particularly appealing to a woman who comes from a violent home herself, or if you go back and listen to the money wound, seeks stability, you know, emotional, some sort of st stability and safety in life. The central attitudes driving Rambo are strength and aggressiveness are good, compassion and conflict resolution are bad. Anything that could be remotely associated with, homosexu with homosexuality, including walking away from possible violence or showing any fear or grief, has to be avoided at any cost. Femaleness and femininity, which he associates with homosexuality, are inferior. Women are here to serve men and be protected by them. Men should never hit women because it's unmanly to do so. However, exceptions to this rule can be made for my own partner if her behavior is bad enough. Men need to keep their women in line. You are a thing that belongs to me, a.k.a. a trophy. Yep, this is the Voldemort, the six, injustice wound, um, which is surprising that it would say injustice wound, but the Voldemort and the six in the Enneagram is all about uh, anything is worth safety. 
So there's a lot of protection in that. And there's a lot of division in that. So it's interesting. They talk about homosexuality because there's this idea that they, they compartmentalize and create all of these different categorizations and will justify almost anything in order to be able to do that. For people who are familiar with Harry Potter, Voldemort literally created horcruxes. He created, he split his soul into different pieces so that he wouldn't die. And he claimed to protect a very specific group and basically ran over everybody who wasn't included in that group. Thanks for that summary because I'm not that familiar with it. Okay, the next type is called the victim. Life has been very hard and unfair for the victim. To hear him tell it, his intelligence has been chronically underestimated. He has been burned by many people he trusted and his good intentions have been misunderstood. He appeals to a woman's compassion and desire to feel that she can make a difference in his life. He often tells persuasive and heart-rendering stories about how he was abused by his former partner, sometimes adding a tragic element like she was restricted, restricted or preventing his contact with his children. He maneuvers the woman into hating his ex-partner and may succeed in enlisting her in a campaign of harassment, rumor spreading, or battling for custody. As a counselor of abusive men, I have dozens of times been in the position of interviewing a man's former partner and then speaking with the new one. The new partner usually speaks at length about what a wicked woman the one other one was without even having met her. The victim knows how to present himself as helpless and pathetic, so you will find it hard to take back your own life. The central attitudes driving the victim are, everyone has done me wrong, especially the woman I've been involved with, poor me. When you accuse me of being abusive, you're joining the parade of people who have been cruel and unfair to me. It proves you're just like the rest. It's justifiable for me to do to, to you whatever I feel you are doing to me, and even to make it quite a bit worse to make sure you get the message. Women who complain of mistreatment by men, such as relationship abuse or sexual harassment, are anti-male and out for blood. I've had it so hard, and I'm not responsible for my actions. This is another one of my friends' husbands. He constantly plays victim when she's not around. He's constantly trying to get the compassion and empathy of other women while bad-mouthing his wife, who, by the way, is completely normal. Yeah, yeah. And that's why it's the Loki, if anyone's familiar with Marvel, uh, and why it's this villain, it's the hedonist. And again, it has to do with the separation wound, but it's this idea that like, if anyone knows the story of Loki, he literally justified his glorious purpose um, because of the fact that he was like lied to and, you know, taken away from his family. And like, he was the ultimate victim and therefore justified anything that he was going to do. Okay, here's the other one. The terrorist. I worked for a few months with an abused woman named Gloria who was wondering how much longer she would be alive. Her husband, Gerald, would glare at her, drum his fingers methodically on the table and say, you have six months left. Things better shape up around here. Six months. Her head would swim and her heart would race with fear and she would plead with him to tell what exactly he planned to do with her at the end of that period. And he would smile and just say, just wait and see, just wait and see. Six months, Gloria. Gerald had never laid a hand on Gloria in the five years they had been together, but she was terrified. That sounds terrifying. These are the central attitudes driving the terrorist. You have no right to defy me or leave me. Your life is in my hands. Oh, these ones are like blatant, blatant this abusers. Is, this is God wound. Yes, go ahead. Go ahead. Father wound, God wound. Go ahead. Women are evil and have to be kept terrorized to prevent that evil from coming forth. I'd rather die than accept your right to independence. The children are one of the best tools I can use to make you fearful. Seeing you terrified is exciting and satisfying. Whoa. Yeah, this is the Thanos because it's this idea that like, people inherently are bad, evil, and sinning. And therefore, they, I call it the righteous bully. 
they feel completely righted in what they are doing. And they feel as if they're able to completely just be like, Hey, guess what? I'm going to destroy half the universe. I'm going to like blink out half the universe because people are irresponsible and creatures are irresponsible. And it's my job to correct the imbalances and it's, and I'm playing God. And like, I'm playing the ultimate father, God, the father, like the bad patriarchal God. Right. So, so far we've gone through nine types and I believe you have the nine villains. And then this is the 10th one that I don't think you have, but just, just talking about this, I feel like this one isn't even a true one. It's just kind of like a symptom of a bigger problem. And and I'll explain it in a minute. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me, tell me this, this one is the mentally ill or addicted abuser. And this, this, he says, this last category is not actually separate from the others. An abusive man of any of the aforementioned styles can also have psychiatric or substance abuse problem, though the majority do not. Even when mental illness or addiction is a factor, it is not the cause of a man's abuse, but it can contribute to it. Whereas this one's, it's it's usually like the abuse stems as a result of the mental illness or addiction, right? So that's, yeah. So this is totally the nothing, which is the nine, um, because of the fact that like, the nine has to do with like not being able to believe that you are consciously creating your life. Right. So it's like this idea that like, you can just escape and take a step back in your life. And addiction is one of the main ways you do that. So that's what I found as well is that so many people have the nine. And once you kind of address the nine in some ways, you're able to consciously like address the inner villainy that you experienced and all the other ones. So I totally have this one. It's the ninth one. Okay. So this one says the attitudes driving the mentally ill or addicted batterer are the same as those of the other abusers and will likely follow the pattern of one of the earlier nine styles above. In addition, they tend to present one of these. I am not responsible for my actions because of my psychological or substance problems or in my case, PMDD, if you challenge, which is the mental illness. Oh my gosh, I do this. If you challenge me about my abusiveness, you are mean to me considering those other problems I don't have. Oh, I do that. It also shows that you don't understand my other problems. I'm not abusive. I'm just blank, fill in the blank, alcoholic, drug addicted, manic depressive, bipolar, an adult child of alcoholics, have PMDD, I have ADHD, whatever you want to add in there. Okay. If you challenge me, it will trigger my addiction or mental illness. And then you'll be responsible for what I do. Oh my goodness. I totally know someone who does this to their parent because they were an addict in their childhood. Oh Lord. Yeah. This is freaking mind blowing this book. And I'm definitely putting it in the show notes. And I definitely encourage you to take Christina's villain quiz, which I'm going to put in the show notes too, because it's going to help you. So you can better understand the type of abuser you are in your worst in your worst case, you know, in your worst case. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, Anna's, so Anna's taking it. It's starting the 27th. There is still time to sign up by the time that this will be airing. All, All right. right. Thanks everyone. Thanks everyone. If you are listening to this before November 27th of 2023, it is not too late for you to sign up for the villain course. Go to my website, www.chriswiltsee.com. That's K-R-I-S-W-I-L-T-S-E-E and click on the link for more information or email me at chris at chriswiltsee.com for more information. Thanks, y'all. And remember, humility, gratitude, acceptance, done. Let me tell y'all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, 
One girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover.